Go over to Jeremiah chapter 17. And if you think, Pastor, what are you doing Christmas in Jeremiah? I will tell you that I believe Christmas is on every page of this book. Christmas is an enormous message. I mean, if you just take, took it in the Gospels, not to mention all the prophecies for the 4,000 years, as I told you the last couple of weeks, I think Christmas began in Genesis 3 when the promised seed of the woman would come. And then from then on, what an enormous story. But if you just took the Gospels and you, you just started with Gabriel and Elizabeth and Zechariah and, and Mary and Joseph and all those things and the journeys and the taxes and the king and, and, and the travel and the, the mangers and the angels and the shepherds and the gifts and the travel. I, it's just an, it's an enormous story that I don't think we can exhaust. It's a major part of the greatest story ever told in the events of human history. But I want to bring us to 2019 this morning. I don't usually make much of an effort to try to talk about the shape our world's in, but how many of you know our world's in trouble? How many of you know that the prophecy was in the last days we would see what we see today? For this morning, and can I say this year, and because of the world's present situation, I think we need to, and I desire to, and I want to declare this morning to you, I have hope. Hope that this world cannot understand. It's obvious as I watch television that they do not comprehend the love of God. I'm going to read Jeremiah 17. I want to give you a background right quickly. Listen to me carefully young people, mom and dad. Isaiah was a prophet. Israel was obedient to God. They needed God. He said, if you'll worship me, I will bless you. And they worshiped God, and he blessed them beyond measure. They were obedient to and blessed by Jehovah God, the promise-keeping God. But then in their blessing... They decided that they no longer needed quite as much of God. And it digressed till they decided they didn't need God. And so the next generation decided, well, who's God? Where is He? What's He ever done? He is no longer relative to our world, so who needs God? We'll be our own God. We'll live like we want to, do what we want to do the way we want to do it. And who's the so-called never-seen God? Who is He to put any restrictions on us whatsoever? Does that sound familiar to you? And the truth is, the disobedience... That came out of that, and selfishness and materialism eventually destroyed the laws of the land. Does that sound familiar? Truth died in their streets. It didn't matter whether it was true or not, someone would just say it. It was a difficult day in Israel, and the politics got so difficult, and the leadership got so difficult, the nation broke into two parts, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was Israel. It kept its name, but the southern kingdom was Judah. But both these divisions of Israel had backslidden in a great measure. For Judah, God prepared a prophet. One of them was Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah was an awesome prophet. He had a tender heart. He was a weeping prophet, but he had a lot of iron in his spirit. In chapter 16 and 17 of his prophecy, if we were to read it, God required something of Jeremiah that I think he still requires today, and that is this. God said, you're going to speak these sermons, Jeremiah, but you're also going to live what you preach. I think our lip and life should match. Amen? Boy, I could take off there, couldn't I? I was going to be real nice on Christmas morning, but I'm feeling like maybe not. (laughs) As a matter of fact, if you read chapter 16 of Jeremiah's prophecy, here's what God said to him. And and for Martin and all you scholars and biblical scholars that you want to be uh, homiletically correct... Chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, God said, I do not want you to marry among these people. And then verses 5 through 7, He said, I don't want you to mourn with these people. And chapters 16, 18, 8 through 13, He said, I do not want you to mingle with these people. Do not, here's the point, this is like one of those things, all three point. Do not marry, do not mourn, do not mingle. Why? Because God was going to use this prophet to bring a message of clarity. You move to chapter 17, and Judah's sins begin to be listed. And while God was listing their sins, God would, in the midst of listing their sin, He would encourage this prophet, and He would encourage His obedient, remnant people that were still in Judah. I want you to allow, then, God's Word and encouragement to Judah and and to the believers there, the remnant, and to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17, look with me at verse 7. Blessed is the man, let me me just go up to verse 5. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. We need to hear that today, don't we? How many of you know that in America, humanity has become our own God? Cursed is the man who trusts in the man and makes flesh his strength. Whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in a desert. And it said he'll go away. Verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts, that's present, trusts, present tense. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And whose hope, meaning future, is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters. Listen to this tree. He will spread out its roots by the river, will not fear when the heat comes. But his leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of the drought, nor will he cease from yielding fruit. He made a comparison of where men put their trust. Watch this, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's enough for you to understand right there, young people. Don't you buy this message going around this world in Hollywood right now. That all you do is just follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. Listen, a a heart that's not twice born cannot be followed. It'll destroy you. And we have people today who are following their heart and doing what they want to do the way they want to do it, how they should do it, and they don't realize that they're a bush that's that's going to decay. But the heart is deceitful. Desperately wicked, who can know it? The Lord, 
I, the Lord, search the hearts, and I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. You know what God's saying? I'm keeping record. Let's go down, if you will, to verse 14. And watch, watch suddenly God speak to Jeremiah. Encouragement. Hear me, hear me, Jeremiah says, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Heal me and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved. You are my praise. Look at verse 7. I'm sorry, 17 again. Or 17. Do not be a terror to me. Isaiah is saying, Lord, I've determined I'm going to be a righteous man on your side. Do not be a terror to me. You are my hope in the day of doom. Ladies and gentlemen, I have hope in Jesus Christ this morning. Zechariah, we didn't read it, 9 and 12 said that we are prisoners of hope because we trust in God. Years ago, I used to direct cantatas when I was a minister of music, and I've done a lot of cantatas. This week, I was thinking about one that I loved the most. It had some lines in it that said this, Hope was born one night in Bethlehem. Hope was born for all mankind. Just a tiny babe named Jesus, but hope for now and all of time. Hope, ladies and gentlemen, is an important, important thing to humanity. Hope brings a smile to a quivering lip. Hope brings a sparkle to a saddened eye. Hope brings strengthening to a drooped shoulder. And it brings a song to a silent voice. Whatever your lot is in life this morning, it can be flavored and seasoned with hope. And God honors hope. In the Old Testament, David ran for his life in some of his darkest days. But in those dark days, he said, I will hope continually. Peter in the New Testament, he saw a persecuted church and he said to them, hope to the end. And the writer of Hebrews looked at an infant Christian church and he said, lay hold on the hope that is before us. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, in 2019, when you cannot see the end, even when you get to a place where you say, God, I can't trust, even when you can't have faith, when you see, I cannot believe, let me tell you something, you can still have hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. The carol that we sing at Christmas all the time is, Oh, little town of Bethlehem, but I love the way it ends. It ends like this. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee. Hope is the dream of those who are awake. Hope is the parent of victory. Hope is the midnight sun. Hope is the second wing and the second breath of those that are unhappy. Hope is the storm's rainbow. Hope is the shadow of a dream. Hope is the brother of faith and a sister of charity. Hope is medicine to the miserable. Hope is the song of the dove. Hope is the seeing of the blind. Hope is the hearing of the deaf. Hope is the walking of the lame. 
Hope is that little spark in your spirit that flickers in the dark time and it soothes the turmoil of the soul. Thank God in the darkness of night, God has hope and He comes to us through hope. Some of you may not have lived long enough to understand dark hours. But I want to tell you something about us in human nature. Though we have not what we want, we hope we will. Though we have not what we think we need, we hope we will. Though we cannot see to and through the end, we hope we will. And though we are weak, we hope that we will be strong. Though we fail, we hope that we will recover and that we will succeed. Hope and hope and hope and hope and hope and travail and hope and travail and hope and travail. It's the offspring of faith and it's born because God gives us hope even when we can't faith it. What keeps a broken hearted parents when their child is following Satan? When a child they've raised is backslidden and living for Satan rather than God. You know what? You know what sustains broken hearts of those parents? Hope. What sustains the broken heart of parents who've lost a child? It's hope. What keeps the bereaved person going? It's hope. What what keeps the lonely widow going? It's hope. I, I remember when I was a young man, in my late teens, I remembered a story that was pretty amazing. I read it, and I, it was about a little boy with a ball and bat. And... Uh, I remember later my, my boys, I'd watch them play ball. Have you ever noticed something about the nature that's in human beings? When my boys would play ball on the same team, you know how boys are. They, when, they play, when they play with themselves, they never lose. They never lose. I'd watch Quint and Chad play ball, and they'd go, yeah, if it's, if it's, a, if it's football, they made a touchdown. Yeah, they cooked a, kicked a field goal. If, if they hit a ball with a bat, then it was a home run. And they'd, yeah, yeah, and they'd smack, you know, and do all that stuff. Hey, Pastor, why are you going to tell us this little story? Because we need to hear it in 2019. That little boy had a bat and ball, and he, Threw the ball up and swung at it and missed. He threw the ball up and swung at it and missed. He threw the ball up and swung at it and missed. Three times. And then he said, Boy, what a pitcher! I like that. I like that. Young people, mom and dad alike, 
wrapped up in that little story right there is a key to victorious living for the Lord. When your weak cry out, you'll find out what strength He gives. When your lonely cry out, you'll be surprised at the kind of company you'll keep. When your hungry cry out, you won't believe the nourishment He can place in your spirit. When you're depressed, cry out. He will bring a joy the world cannot give and it cannot take it away. When you're tempted, cry out. What grace He bestows upon us because He loves us unconditionally. When Christ was born, hope was born. Someone said this. Life with Christ is endless hope. And life without Christ is hopeless end. Another said, we are never beneath hope while above hell. And we are never above hope while beneath heaven. (laughs) One day, I had just, I think, been in college a year. And my mom and dad made an announcement about our house that my older sister was getting married. That was back when she was only two years older than me. It'll land on you in a minute. If she watches this, she, I'll get a phone call today, you watch. If she's on Facebook, she'll get it. I remember she, they announced she was going to be married. And oh, it was exciting and everything. And then, then all of a sudden some of the reality dawned and I think I think the best day of dad's life is probably when he has a baby girl born. I think the worst day of his life is when he gives her to another man. Isn't that the hardest thing you ever do? I I know now why God didn't give me girls. I couldn't do it. I I, I feel sorry for you guys. But I found out my older sister's gonna be married. Then it was real fun. Then all of a sudden, well she's gonna be leaving. It was kind of like, that's our baby girl, we're going to lose her. And I was glad. (laughs) Are you kidding? Good riddance. I mean, bossy. How many of you know firstborn kids are bossy most of the time? I can say that because I was born second. That's why... <laughs> I remember how it affected the family. It was different. But I I found out something. I learned something. I found out without my knowing anything about it, for years and years since she was a little girl, they had placed items again and again in a thing called a hope chest. I'm a boy, I don't know anything about hope chests. I don't know what was in it, still don't. But the day came, I noticed, I realized that she took her hope chest to her new home. It's interesting that the very last verse in the book of Genesis, in chapter 50, verse 26, listen to this. You remember the story of Joseph took the nation in of Israel into Egypt 
became slaves, etc., etc. They always prayed they'd go back to their home. And Joseph was a ruler, and when he died, verse 26 says, So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. I want to tell you, I looked that word coffin up. That is the only time that it's ever used in the Bible. Genesis fifty twenty six. It's the Hebrew way, word aron. It means a gathering or a gathering box, a chest, a hope chest. And I looked that up in a Strong's Concordance in the Hebrew. And if you know anything about Strong's Concordance, it was number 727. And I want to read it again. So Joseph died being 110 years old. And they embalmed him, and he was put in a hope chest in Egypt. I have buried family and friends and numerous people in 727 hope chests. And I thank God for a hope chest. The Israelites did place Joseph's bones in a hope chest. And Joseph, because he said that, read the verses just before. He said, I know and by faith and by hope, I believe God is going to take us out of Egypt and take us back to Israel. Put my bones in a box and take me with you. And the good news is, his faith and hope even then inspired them. They did put his bones in a box. They did carry from Egypt and Joseph was buried in Israel. You know why he said that? Because he had hope in the future. Ladies and gentlemen, in a world that's in turmoil, thank God for the hope and the joy of hope. Thank God for the thrill. Thank God for the strength. Thank God for the assurance of hope. Because hope was born in Bethlehem. I'm going to read you a verse of Scripture. That right in the middle of this, God was preaching to this. God was talking to Jeremiah. But I want you to listen. And I want you to bring this for you and me today in 2019. Because ladies and gentlemen, if you know what's going on in this country, much less the rest of the countries, we need hope for Christmas. But I want you to listen to what God said to his man right in the midst of all this turmoil. Listen to what God said to Jeremiah. I will make you to this people like a fortified bronze wall. (laughs) They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you to save you and to deliver you, says the Lord. I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked. I will redeem you from the grip of the terrible. If that isn't hope, I don't know what hope is. And what of our present day and future? The hopes and fears of all the years are met in Him. On Christ the what? Solid rock I what? Stand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Hope began at Bethlehem's manger. Hope was enlarged 
at Calvary on the cross. Hope was assured by the empty tomb. And hope will find ecstasy at the rapture when God takes the church home in the sky. Hope. Oh, the hope that he will come again. How many of you are looking forward to it? Oh, the hope that we will be made like him. How many of you are looking forward to it? Oh, the hope that it will be soon. How many of you are looking forward to it? Hope was born in Bethlehem. I just want to announce to you that I'm looking forward to a second Christmas. Pastor, what are you talking about? The angel will sound the trump, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Hope was born in Bethlehem at Christmas. And ladies and gentlemen, there's a second Christmas right around the corner. How many of you want to celebrate that with the Lord? (laughs) I have hope. I have hope. I have hope. I have hope. For so many centuries for Israel, it looked like the world was in charge. If you look around today, even Christianity's under attack. My heart broke yesterday on a newscast I saw. Two Christians were saying, Well, we're going to have to define what Christianity means today. Can I tell you that the author of this book says I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever? Can I tell you that the author of this book put in here that this word is his, he wrote it, and it will never pass away. Who in God's name do we think we are going to redefine Christianity? You're not going to change the fact that he left heaven and came here at Christmas. You're not going to change the fact of his perfect life or his vicarious death and crucifixion. You're not going to change the fact that he came out of the grave and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he says this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and we think we're going to redefine it we got to be kidding ourselves he has it all defined right here and it came on Christmas and I want to tell you don't you ever think that God's going to lose this world how many of you want to be in a remnant today with hope 